Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. I could take credit for a lot of what I say, but I can't take credit for, you know, most of it, especially if it's good. Now, if it's horrible, that's all me. Uh, and if it's, you know, if it's, uh, it sounds like it's unprepared and unprofessional, then I take credit for that. But if it sounds like it's uh, uh, coming straight from the throne, then there's, there's no me in that. But the Lord gave me a statement that I've been using recently here lately uh, that the necessity for what ails my community is intimacy. So we know that anything that is a necessity, then that, the, what is a necessity is the very thing that is needful. And uh, ailments or afflictions or uh, stresses or things that hinder or weigh down or come against any, any certain thing. So, so our, I believe that really what, the, what, what is the necessity for me dealing with what has come against and ailed or afflicted my community is truly me in intimacy with Messiah. Uh, I think that when we begin to give precedence to presence and not so much to program and even protests, then we will begin to see things within our community change drastically. And not only change drastically, but change with might and power and change with the, uh, the, the potency of the Holy Spirit. I really believe that what I'm, try- well, what I'm trying to say, and I really believe this, is that when a church comes together with the intent to get intimate with Jesus, there is a conception that takes place within the womb or heart matrix or even the soul of that church and the soul of the individual and then there gives way to them birthing the very presence of Jesus into his absence, okay? Anything that is riddled with sin is riddled with sin because it is absent the presence of Jesus, okay? Anytime that we mess up, it's because I decided somehow or some shape, some form to walk out of the presence of God. If I begin to sin, okay, let me say it this way. How many of us in the room, and don't raise your hand because I really don't need to know, I just want you to, you know, really begin to, to evaluate and meditate on this. And, and a couple of weeks ago, if not maybe a month ago, I taught on this on a Wednesday night about when I mess up, and I just want you to put yourself into my situation, when I mess up, if I respond or act or, uh, you know, uh, just behave out of character, and when I say character, I'm not talking about my character, I'm talking about the character of Jesus. If I behave out of the way that is not... Uh, that, that is not becoming of the person of Jesus, I am immediately convicted. Huh? And I mean, again, this is, it's not rhetorical, but just, I want you to just begin to think in yourself. 
Do you feel that way? I, I do. If I do something that I know that I'm not supposed to do, immediately my heart and my soul was convicted. And I repent. I begin to change my mind, my perspective, and change my ways. And therefore, when I change my mind, my perspective, and my ways, I change my directions. And that's why religion over the years has said repentance means to turn 180 degrees in the other direction. Well, yes, it does. It does. It, it certainly does. Because if I'm in sin, I'm moving away from God. When I repent of my sins, I come to my senses. I turn and I come back to God. Okay? It's the prodigal syndrome. I go out and I live lavishly and then when I find out and it comes to me, I realize that what I've done is made a mess out of my life. The only one that can fix it is the, is, is the Father. And what fixes it is me in proximity or a close intimacy with the Father. So therefore, what ails my, uh, what, what, what the necessity for what ails me is me in proximity with Him and intimacy with Him. So therefore, then... It, <laughs> Really, we've got to understand that what happens in and to me has an overflow. How many of you have, have said this? Man, it really blessed me to see them get blessed. We say that a lot in the church. It's a, it's a common thing that we say. And I believe most of us actually believe it. And most of us actually are so humble that we do get a blessing by seeing somebody else get blessed. That I don't know. Brandy was talking the other day. He said, wait till you, you know. Some of us that haven't seen my mom fall out in the spirit. Funny story. My mom fell out in the spirit before the preacher started preaching. She was still out in the spirit when the preacher quit preaching. And he was long-winded like me. You remember that? You don't remember that. I know dad does. You probably remember the before and the after, but nothing in the middle except for being in the presence of God. And people used to say, man, it just blesses me to watch your mom go out and get touched. We say that in the church, and some of us, if not most of us, actually mean it. It blesses me to see someone else get blessed. So what happens to you has a consequence. The consequence is the overflow. Okay? When you become so full of something, again, as the, the illustration that I've used, most of us would look at this from the wrong perspective and say it's full. In most, in, in, in most circumstances, this is full. Even though I've taken one drink out of it. Some of us might say it's not full unless the cap has not been broken or the seal has not been broken. And in some cases that's an accurate assumption. But this bottle is not full until it is overflowing. So if I set this bottle under a spigot and begin to turn, and turn the spigot on and begin to fill this bottle up. It is not actually full until the water is overflowing and rushing down the sides and begins to fill the bottom of the sink. So you have to understand that the blessing of God is much like you filling this bottle. It's Jesus filling you up to your capacity. But when Jesus starts to give uh, anything of himself, he gives it to such a magnitude that you are not big enough in capacity to, uh, to fulfill or to... You are not big enough in capacity to completely obtain everything that he pours out in you as it pertains then to blessings. Make sense? So what happens to a church that 
unlocks the key to intimacy and then begins to receive blessing in such an abundance that they have no say-so or authority to stop it and say whether or not or whether or whether or not it begins to flow into the community. See, this is a whale. What has been, the, what has been the, the number one, the most detrimental thing to the barren society in which we live in? It has been dry wells. The source of the church and the community have been dry wells because the, even the church has not been in connection and communication through the, the process, through the process of intimacy with Jesus. But I believe that's about to change. I don't think we're the only ones that are getting a hold of this revelation. I believe that there's a remnant getting a hold of the revelation. I believe there's those that are, that are neck deep in other organizations and either other churches that are going to begin to leave organizations and other churches and begin to find like-minded people that are willing to go into the secret place and be connected in unity and intimacy with Jesus because they know that the necessity for what else their community is them in intimacy to Jesus. It is the giving of themselves through submission, a consensual yes that will have a consequence of his favor and his blessing and his presence overflowing you and flowing through you till it goes and it then makes an impact in the community. I really believe that. I mean, listen, I, what did I say a couple of weeks ago? We look at this, this scenario in the Bible where John and Peter walk up to this gate called Beautiful. There's a man there lame from birth that can't walk. He begs of alms. This is all he knows how to do. He holds his hand out, stares at the ground because he's ashamed and he's not even, he's not even permitted. It's, it's, it's a tradition for them to not look upon a man that, that, that according to society is potent because he's impotent. He's impotent, excuse me. And automatically they look down at someone who is not potent Thus, in our terminology, they look down on somebody who is handicapped and believe that they're cursed. So he, w- he wouldn't even look at whoever he was begging alms of. Look, you just have to imagine this guy sitting there just holding his hand out with his head down. And that's what most of us do. If that would have happened today, if that scenario, we could fast forward and, and, and we could watch, or watch that scenario unfold today. The ones that would walk up in the place of John and Peter would not give him the, impot- the, the, the potency or the, the omnipotency or the omnipotency, however you want to say it, tomato, tomato. I like to say omnipotency because I can't always sound out my syllables. I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Somebody can laugh about that one later anyway. Go look that up. Go look. That's a quote from a movie. Somebody needs to tell Brian Kennedy I used that one. He can't beat that one very easily. The ones that would play the role of Peter and John today would begin to look at the lame condition of the crippled man and they would begin to try to develop and begin to orchestrate a program. That would then cater to his handicap. Now, I'm not saying. Listen, I understand you got. Don't take me out of context because we we have to. We have to be accessible to everyone. That's why we have a wheelchair ramp on the side of our building. 
But we are looking at spiritual and physical handicaps in the church and are trying to figure out ways, strategies, and systems, and programs on how to cater to that necessity. But the necessity to what ailed the crippled man was not a program. It was not a system. It, it, it wasn't a, a strategy. No. It was Jesus. It was Jesus and it came by way of two men that was intimate with Jesus. And when they looked at the necessities of the crippled man, they didn't try to develop a program. They looked down and said, we don't have a program. But we got presence. And as we stand in the presence of the one named Jesus of Nazareth, get up and take up your bed and walk. And that man, under the presence and the authority in which they carried for a as a consequence of being in that presence, when he heard those words, he got up. No rehabilitation. Nothing. He got up and he began to praise. He began to run and leap and jump, shouting praises of joy because he had been lame his whole life, but something happened on the inside of him that he couldn't explain. The only thing he knew is that something happened, and that something just happened to work. Listen, why, why, this is really, and I'm going sh- to show you some stuff here today. While in my, what, the necessity for what else my community is me in intimacy with authority. And there, there may even be a duration of, of, of intimacy, how long it takes. I know people that have struggled to have children and have done, you know, and, and that maybe even gave up hope. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're having a child. But let, let, me, just, let me just say it as straightforward as I can say it. There may be something more wrong with you if you give up on intimacy just because you haven't had conception. Abraham never gave up on intimacy with Sarah, even though he had him and her had both given up on conception. And had given up so badly that they failed horribly. You ever heard the old uh, wise tales, don't put the cart before the horse? That's a disaster waiting to happen. And so often, too many times in the ministry, we fall victim to someone who was in too big of a hurry and decides to put the cart before the horse, and it crashes. And everything that comes as a, as about as a consequence of that crash is affecting everything that happens thereafter. Anything that happens, listen, if if you've had an accident, I guarantee you that there's an effects of that accident will ail you for the rest of your life, apart from Jesus. I was playing softball, twisted my ankle up, broke it, messed it up really bad, it was ugly. My toenails turned black, like I had smashed all five of my my toenails with a, a, a center block. I just crilled my ankle. That's been probably 10 years ago. I still walk with, with uh, tenderly on my left side because I had an accident. Everything that happens after that moment has been affected by what I did in that moment. It is no different in the church. What we do in the church 
against and apart from God's will will have a lasting effect in the same way that what we do while we're in his will will have a lasting effect. One is greater than the other. But see, there's some people that never get the revelation that they messed up. Can I go on with this? Amen. Let me share some stuff with you. Genesis chapter 16. Just a, just a short few, few little things I want to share with you and then we'll go home. Frank knows every time I say it, it's going to be long. I'm going to try to hold to my word. Chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no child, children. And she had an handmaiden, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. She didn't have to twist his arm, if you notice there. Abram. Hearken to the voice of Sarah. And again, this is another illustration where everybody wants to blame Eve, but Adam is as equally, if not greatly, more to blame than Eve. Adam was the one that received the revelation. So was Abraham. But they were easily swayed by the woman. Now, we can go, we can, we can draw a bunch of conclusions that would get every man in the room in trouble, and that's why I will refrain and move on. Amen. Hallelujah. That was a joke. You're welcome, but anyway, you're on your own. I, I backed up and realized I made a mistake with that statement. <laughs> okay, and Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, with the Egyptian after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when he, she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is with thy hand. Is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and that it shall not be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy afflictions. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, I have also... I have I also here looked after him that seeth me. Wherefore the well was called 
uh, beer, what, you can pronounce it how you want to. I'm just going to skip that and roll on. Uh, behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now, there's a ser- several things that I want to share here with this, and just in this, this illustration and this story. Okay, we have to, we have to go back to uh, Genesis 11 when Abraham received the call to come out from his father's house and sojourn to a land that the Lord would show him and that the Lord would make him a father of many nations and whoever blessed him would be blessed, whoever cursed him would be cursed. So there, Abraham, or Abram, was believed to be 70 years old when God gave him the promise and called him out of his father's house. Abraham was 100 years old when he gave, or when he received uh, the son Isaac. So there was 30 years between when the promise was given to Abraham and when the, when, when the promise was spoken to Abraham until Abraham saw the promise come to fruition. See, just because God tells you something does not mean that it will happen immediately or tomorrow or within the week or within the month or even within the year. Because there are, there are, I like to call them gestational processes. Because see, when God puts the dream inside of you, it becomes alive. But it cannot be given to, it cannot come to fruition, I should say, until it has been developed, full, uh, but developed fully and came to maturity. Okay, what, there's something that I've said here a lot, that if you, take a, if you take a woman that has a child and she delivers that child prematurely, that child cannot live outside the womb. Hmm? But if that woman is carrying a child and she goes too far beyond her due date or beyond the development of that child, then it, that also, that also pre, pre, uh, presents some major risks and some detrimental things that happen. So there, it has to be the timing that delivers the dream on the inside of you perfectly and healthy. So you, you, you can't force it to be birthed and you can't prolong it to be birthed. Both are equally detrimental to the dream. Abraham received a promise. The promise was, was conceived on the inside of Abraham's bosom. His heart, his womb, or his matrix, the soul of the man, the innermost part of Abraham, it it, it conceived the dream in which God spoke to him. And it was developing, and the timing was coming to perfection, to when God saw fit for that dream to come to pass, and that dream or that promise to come to fruition. But what happens here? Abraham and Sarah began to get anxious and begin to get nervous, and they begin to they begin to look at the clock and they begin to look at the calendar, and they say, "Abraham, you were only seventy when God told you this was going to happen. You're eighty now. We're going to have to do something." And they wait a few more years, and Sarah comes to him when he's 85 years old or 84 and begins to just begins to just say hey maybe we need to do something she's making her own plan and look what she says here 
she actually blames God. She said, and, and Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. It's all in how you look at it. On one hand, Sarah is looking at it from, from this perspective. God has caused me and he has restrained me from bearing. It's as if though has God has, has, has put his hand in the way and said, I'm going I'm I'm to stop anything from conceiving within the womb of Sarah. And that's quite possibly so. But, it's not, but, but Sarah is looking at it as though, well, God doesn't want me to have this promise. God has changed his mind quite possibly. Maybe I'm not the one that was actually supposed to receive the promise. So God has restrained me, which literally means almost to tie up or bind or bound. It wasn't the fact that he had restrained her. He had reserved her. See the difference in those two words. She said the Lord has restrained me from bearing. The Lord actually reserved her forbearing it's all in how you see it and how you see it is how you believe it and how you believe it is how you perceive it is that right it's all in how however i said that i probably butchered that but listen she saw it from a negative perspective god has restrained me from bearing are y'all getting this Restraining from and reserving for is two totally different things and puts it into a completely different perspective. If you want to say and sulk because God hasn't made good on his promise yet, it's not because God hasn't made good on his promise yet. It's that God has not seen the, 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 the enough adequate maturity in the womb of the individual in which he conceived the promise to allow it to come forth. See what I'm saying here. God has spoken to you. I'm sure that he's spoken to everyone in this room and gave you a promise that he may have not, that you may not have seen come to pass yet. It is not because God has not made good on it yet. God made good on it on the cross. So you know what I understand that when he said to tell us die, he meant that it's good. It's paid in full. It's finished. It's good. I'm not going back on it now. But so many of us will get so Anxious and so stir crazy in the waiting. I know, I know. I've I've seen four of them come into this earth, and after about thirty weeks, my wife every morning said, "Oh, I can't wait until this baby comes." I've seen it. I know, and I could not blame her because I know that she was miserable. I can't wait until this baby comes. At 20 weeks, I can't wait until this baby comes. I'm so over being pregnant. I'm so over being so fat. I'm so over being miserable. I'm so over being tired. I'm so over. Listen, I didn't have to deal with it physically. Mentally and emotionally, I dealt with it. I'm tired of my feet and my hands being swelled all the time. I'm tired of my face being swelled. I'm not making fun of her. I'm just telling you, I know how it is. I've seen it. People get stir crazy and they get tired of having something alive on the inside of their belly that is moving around and kicking around. And it seems like it's big enough and it seems like it's old enough and it seems like it's mature enough and it is making you uncomfortable and it is making you reposition yourself. It is making you walk differently. It's making you lose sleep. 
But it has to be developed. And the opening has to be ordained and orchestrated by God. And listen, we have the ability. I believe that we have the ability to mess this all up. I believe that there are so many that receive a promise from God. And God puts that promise and he plants it in them. And they become conceived within their womb with a promise that comes from God. And a lot of times three things happen. They abort it. They wish it to be born too early. Or they hold on to it too long. All three result in dead dreams. Amen? All three result in detrimental decisions that utterly affect every other decision from that moment and that point forward. I'll tell you what the most detrimental decision that was made in this scenario was Sarah saying, Oh, well you're 85 now, or you're, you're 80 now. And we need, we need to hurry this plan up. And, they, and the, so one day she decides to give her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham. So that she, through that conception, might receive a son. And there was, there was tradition in those days that if she gave birth sitting on the knees of Sarah, then that was the, that was the same as signing as an adoption agreement. So that was the plan. Sarah was going to... Fast forward the plan of God because her and Abraham, she and Abraham was growing wearied in waiting, was growing anxious, was becoming desperate, and were unwilling to wait settled in faith that God would make good on the promise. How many of us have been there? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just teaching. I'm teaching. Most cases, not even that. In most cases, we think a month is uh, longevity, and we've got to understand that it takes longevity. You 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 can't you can't conceive a baby tonight and hold it in your arms tomorrow. They don't even do that in petri dishes. There's there's got to be a developmental gestational process of conception to maturity. You can't conceive a promise. Listen, let's, let's talk about ideas. And I, don't wanna, I do not want anyone to mistake ideas with promise. Because I've seen many, many, many ministers and man, men of God get good ideas that were not the ideas, that were not dreams or promises of God. Hmm? They would, I, I've seen ministers hold meetings and begin to brainstorm and begin to network and begin to try to come together with ideas of how they could accomplish a dream or a, an idea. It's not necessarily that you need to come together and try to figure out how to accomplish the dream. That's what Sarah and Abraham did. And you can see by the story they messed up and utterly did they. You have got to understand that if God gives you the promise, the only requirement that falls upon you is just to wait. To be faithful. I'm talking to a, a young minister now that is, he revealed to me a couple of nights ago that he just feels like the Lord wants him to just sit still and wait. And what he's doing now to do it with excellency. And that's great. I know ministers that have been in the ministry for 30 years that need to get a hold of that revelation. Because they never, they never 
successfully fulfill what they're doing now in the moment with excellency. They grow tired of what they're doing now and they begin to do it haphazardly and lackadaisically and then they get so bored with what they're doing now that they move on to the next thing. Never seeing fulfillment obtained in the promise of God or fulfillment obtained in the plans or purposes of God. Why? Because I have conceived an idea that aborted the conception of his hope and dreams on the inside of me. Do you understand? Let me tell you, where, where do you conceive ideas within the intellect? Where do you conceive dreams within the heart? My intellect can conjure up many ideas. And I may even be able to, by way of intellect, fulfill the majority of those ideas. But when I have been conceived within my heart of a dream and a hope and it becomes alive on the inside of me, then nothing that I can do beyond that point but just wait and allow time to bring maturity to that dream. Then when I allow maturity to come to that dream, I then have myself in the position and the posture to birth it into a reality. I've been, this is basically same stuff, the same stuff that I've been teaching for five years is there's a dream alive on the inside of you. There's a hope alive on the inside of you. And if you will just sit back and wait, listen, come on. Do you understand that when my wife was pregnant, she knew better than to get out and climb rocks. She knew better than to try to climb up a mountain or to go rollerblading. Come on, you understand what I'm saying here. When you're carrying something so precious, you have got to be mature enough to know that your behavior and the way that you act could be very detrimental to the longevity and even the survival of that dream on the inside of you. Even sinners, for the most part, when they find out they're pregnant, will not go to a party and drink a liquor or beer and party like it's 1999. Even, even people who aren't believers know that what... I mean, from the most part, there's some evil people out there that think they can just partially deliver a baby and sever its spinal cord and sell its parts. There are those people out there. But let me say it this way. If we're so nonchalant and lackadaisical with the dream that's alive on the inside of us, maybe, maybe the, the lack of sanctity for the life on the inside of us that we carry may be overflowing into society. Maybe if we cared as much about the hope that is alive on the inside of us, namely Jesus, then maybe we really wouldn't have to worry about protesting abortion. Anybody follow me? I say protest abortion. But I also say be intimate enough with Jesus that when He conceives the promise and the hope and the dream alive on the inside of you, be mature enough to stay in proximity and intimacy until you see the fulfillment of that conception come to fruition. But we are aborting the dreams of Jesus that He has impregnated into the church. But we want to shout to the mountaintops about abortion. 
I want to shout as equally as high and elevated to the mountaintops about spiritual abortion of the dreams and the purposes that God has planned for the church. We're aborting them. We're delivering them too early. And we're holding on to them too long. All three result in the death of the dream. Do you know what? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? When, when we get conceived with the hope alive on the inside of us, it is, a, it is alive and it is life abundantly. Why? Because it is Jesus and that is who Jesus is. And that's the characteristic of Jesus is he is life more abundantly. Hmm? How so? Because he tells John, hey, I, I know what you're looking at. You see me die, but you see me resurrected. You see me ascended. I'm the one that, yes, surely I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. He's more alive than he ever was dead. So why are we dealing with dead situations in the church? Because Jesus is not alive on the inside of the church. Hmm? That's it. I mean, and I'm not preaching this to beat anybody up or beat anybody down. I'm preaching this because I'm telling you that there is the reality of a promise. And in maturity, you figure out how to take care of and nurture that promise. Listen, when I first had Ryland, God bless his heart. He had a daddy that didn't know anything about being a daddy. Reagan come along, I still didn't know anything about being a daddy. Reed come along, I had several years of practice. Reed come along, and then I was beginning to see myself a little bit more step into that role of a daddy. But it, and then race came along, but I'll tell you, even at that, I did not understand the role of being a father until I began to see the, the, the until I began to see God, Yahweh, as father. And in the same sense, I didn't really understand how to be a better husband until I began to look at Jesus in the role of husband. So with that, same, with, with that being said, I, I, I also know that, and, and I know this is hard to, to tie together because there's never been a natural man ever conceived physically. But every being as it pertains to humanity, has the opportunity to conceive within them a hope. Male and female, every believer. Let's, let's, not, put, let's not put believers in the category of gender as it pertains to a physical gender. Let's put believers in the category of the church and the bride. Okay, you can, whatever, however you want to look at this. I believe, I, I believe it's easier for me even though nothing makes sense in the kingdom to the intellect. But the heart, yes. The church as a whole is a womb. Every denomination who was willing. Hmm? Every denomination who was willing to say yes in consensual, or consensual permission. Amen? To intimacy with Jesus then becomes a fruitful womb. 
There is no bearing wombs in the consensual yes when it pertains to the church. If you say yes to Jesus, it comes with the consequence of conception. Period. But then it comes with the consequence also of accountability, and that means to nurture the gift alive on the inside of you. Hmm? It could possibly take 30 years for the promise to come to fruition. Do you understand? I'm going to tell you something here. When, when she says to Abraham, the Lord has restrained me from bearing, she's putting blame on God because of the wrong perspective. I need you to understand tonight, going back to something that I said, take restrained me from out of your vocabulary and replace it with reserved me for. It makes a big difference. Do you not see how big of a difference it makes here? Well, we're just a little old church and God has just restrained us from being fruitful. No, God did not restrain us from being fruitful. Our perspective, though, has. Amen? I'm just not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not versed enough. I, I talk to people all the time. Well, you know, I just, I just can't tell you where it's at. It doesn't matter if it's in your heart. Hmm? Do you think I care one iota that you can't tell me Scripture and verse? Let me, let me tell you something. I know people that can tell me Scripture and verse all day long, but the Word of God is nowhere in their heart. And I know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So when somebody starts speaking from the heart, I know that their mouth is speaking the truth and is speaking from experience and speaking from sincerity. Not education, revelation. Education can conceive nothing within the womb and the heart of the individual, but revelation can come alive with inside the individual. I'm, a, I'm the example. I'm not educated. Everyone in the room understand that I am not educated. I barely made it through the 12th grade. I couldn't read very well at all. I would sit in my window and my mom would tell me every three minutes, if you don't get your homework done, you're not going outside. I would sit and daydream about going outside because I had no interest in my schoolwork. None. Right? Amen. They like me. People like me in school. All my teachers like me. They helped me. I didn't graduate. No, I did not graduate in the top ten. I don't even know if I graduated in the top sixty. And there was only sixty-five of us. I went to college, paid for it. I should never say I went. Somebody asked me one time. Said, "You go to college?" I said, "No, I paid for it." They said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I just threw my money in the wind." I said, did you know after you don't show up for three days, they kick you out? I found out the hard way. I got a letter from the dean that said I was on academic probation. I tried to hide that one. It didn't work. My mama found it. Because I was so dumb, I gave it to her and said, what's this mean? <laughs> I'm having a hard time with y'all tonight, ain't I? Something wrong. Hmm? Lighten up a little bit. Come on. We're all going to heaven in here, ain't we? 
I'm not educated. This is not, this is not my education. This is my revelation. And see, education alive on the inside of you has the promise to come into fruition and become alive outside of you. You've you got to see this. You've got to see this in, 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 in spiritual matters. God is placing a promise. You know, and here's something I want to share with you. Everybody likes to look, come here, Deidre. Everybody wants to look at, say, Deidre and say, Deidre, God has a purpose for you in life. Anybody want to contest that? Everybody in this room would agree with me that God has a purpose for Deidre in this life. But we fail by stopping there. Because not only does God have a purpose for her, but she is also his purpose for humanity. Her purpose coming together with Brittany's purpose, coming together with Emery's purpose, coming together with your purpose and your purpose and my purpose and their purpose comes together collectively for the purpose of God, which we know according to Romans that he will see through all things work together. Let's cut everything else out of the middle for the purpose of God. Everything comes together and he works it out for his purpose. So not only does he have a purpose for her, but she is a part of his purpose for the greater plan of humanity. You can sit down if you want to. Does that make sense? Her purpose is just a tributary to the greater flow of the current called the river. So her purpose is not really the only thing that defines her. What helps to continue to define her is that God had a purpose for her and has a purpose with her. And his purpose for her is the same purpose that he has that he wants to work out through her for humanity and the existence of humanity. That goes for everyone else in this room too. God doesn't have just a purpose for you. You are a part of his purpose for the greater existence of humanity. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Shut up and quit beating yourself up so bad that you say, I don't have, I don't have an ability. I don't have a skill. I don't have a talent. I don't have an education. I don't, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have a pedigree. I, I, don't have, I don't have anyone else in my family that ever done anything like this. So what? Be the first. Hmm? Be the first. So what? I don't care what in your, your lineage you think defines you or identifies you. What identifies you is what he has put on the inside of you. And what he has put on the inside of you is himself. Who remembers what I said a couple Sundays ago that I wanted you to lay your hand across your heart? And then I said, what, what, what do I, I want you to put your hand on your heart because I want you to put your hand on the dreams that he has for you. And the dreams that he has for you are the dreams that he has placed in you. And what has he placed in you? Because his dream for you is himself. Let me, let me say it this way. Every time Brandy said, I can't wait till this baby comes. She was saying it out of frustration at times because she was struggling to walk and breathe and everything else. 
But she was also saying it out of expectations because she couldn't wait for the day that she held that life that was alive on the inside of her. There's a big difference here. You understand where I'm going? I can't wait till this is over. Sometimes there's such an expectancy that we want to hold that life on the inside of us. But guess what? The, the, the maturity and accountability has to sometimes take, pres, take precedence over expectancy. Because maturity and accountability know that they have to nurture and take care of that dream. They cannot wish it too soon. Amen? Somebody's got to pay for it. Let me give you, let me give you an illustration. And I'm not, I'm not putting her on the spot. The Lord really, I, I think I handled it pretty good. I handled it as I would have, you know, in my fashion. Reagan had been on the internet looking at a bunch of things that she wanted on an app called Wish. And uh, I'm not taking anything from Brian's sermon Sunday. Be careful what you pray for. But the Lord immediately shared with me, be careful what you wish for. Because she had put in her cart all of these things she wanted and wished for. And somehow accidentally purchased Nearly $200 worth of earbuds and baby dolls and things of the such. And was totally, totally, totally in a panic, a frenzy. Literally on the point of hyperventilating. And this is just coming out of a few days of her, you know, dropping her phone under the truck wheel and it getting run over. She... she I, she comes in, she's crying profusely, hyperventilating. This is the worst week ever. I'm so sorry, Daddy. And I look at her and I said, well, you know what? I said, listen. I said, it's all right. Things happen. I said, and it's your birthday in a couple couple weeks, about a month. I said, so just consider it as, as a happy birthday for the next 10 years. <laughs> and the Lord you know, the Lord begins to just commend me. Some, you know, you got to understand, the Lord don't always correct. Sometimes he commends. And I'm so used to the Lord correcting me that I, I, I have in the past missed uh, the, the reality that he was commending me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, uh, he commended me, he said, because how many debts of yours have I forgiven? And he reminded me of the Lord's prayer. Forgive those that are indebted to you that I may forgive you your debts also. So how we deal with, how we deal with the scenario and the situation of how somebody owes us may, may result in how the Lord deals with what we owe him. What's the, what's the parable? Jesus teaches on a parable. About a man that was forgiven his debt. A much greater debt than what was owed to him. And when he was forgiven his debt, he went out and found someone that owed him something that was so insignificant to the debt that he was already forgiven of. And he threw that debtor in prison. And the merciful king finds out about it and then throws him into prison until he too could pay off his debt. So sometimes we have to be careful. Okay, that's, not, that's, that's probably the number two nugget that I put into this sermon for free. Number three, 
he said to me, he said, see there? You have to be careful what you wish for because somebody always has to pay the cost. Mommy and daddy had to pay the cost. Sometimes I may wish for something completely contrary to the will of God and somebody has to pay the cost and it's always Jesus. Jesus has to pay the cost. Somebody always has to pay the cost. Some situations it may be you and I that have to pay the cost. But when it comes to our wishes getting in the way of his will. And sometimes his, his will is simply for us to wait until maturity. Do you understand that sometimes he may not want... Here, here's been my biggest problem. Seeing something that I wanted and getting it anyway. Regardless of having the finances or not. I can get it, but I'll have to pay for it. I can get it, but I'll have to pay for it. Do you know what, you know what the moral of this story is? If I waited until I was financially mature to afford it, I would not have to pay as much for it as, as I did or do when I bought it out of immaturity because I couldn't wait until I was financially fit. Or I couldn't wait until God gave me the finances to fulfill my promise. You see how all this works together. We have to be very, very, very cautious of not jumping the gun or putting the cart before the horse. Because there's always a price to pay for doing something too early. For forcing the promise too early. God says to Abraham when he is 70, if you will follow me, I will make you a father of many nations. He had the promise of a son at the age of 70. At the age of roughly around 25 years old. They say that he was 70 when he was called and given the promise that he would be the father of many nations. Chronologically, most believe that he was somewhere around the age of 85 when he gave, when, excuse me, when Sarah birthed, not Sarah, Hagar birthed Ishmael. The scripture says that when he conceived or went under, in unto her and she conceived him, a son, that he was four score, four score, was it four score and four years old? Is that right? It does say, it does say four score and six years old. Abraham was four score and six years old, so he was 86. Which meant, okay, which meant that he was 85 when he conceived this son out of the promise. 70 years old, and in 25 years, he jumped the gun. He waited, let me, let, me, let me get back on track here. He, was, he received the promise when he was 70. He forced the promise when he was 85. The son, right, 25. There was 25 years between the promise and when he, him, him and, and Sarah, y'all can help me here because I'm struggling a little bit. 
There was, there was 25 years between the promise and the total mess up. When they tried to immaturely and prematurely deliver the promise and bring it to fruition. Right. I'm going to have to go back and look at my timelines. Because I actually just looked at this. That's 15 years, right? Well, anyway, forget all that. I do know that he was 70 years old when he was called out of the land of his father. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. The significance of the 30-year wait is the maturity, I believe, in the gestational process. Because 30 is symbolic. 30 is, is a symbolism to the dedication of authority. It is the, the dedication of authority. We know that Jesus was how old when he started his ministry? 30. David was how old before when he became king? 30. Uh, Joseph was 30 when he came in to rule. So 30 is very significant to, a, a, to, to a dedicated to authority or having the authoritative permission or to having authoritative permission. Now somewhere in this, I, I did study this. I know I sound as, uh, very much like I didn't. But there was 25 years somewhere between when, when, when the promise, when Ishmael is involved and then Jacob is involved. As I looked at this 25 years, and I'm going to have to go back and look at this and then bring it out again. 25 years represents a blessing. Here's the difference that some people, when they begin to operate out of maturity, can very well operate in and as of a blessing. But they can never operate out of authority. Do you understand, do you understand the, the illustration that I'm making here? Even Brian talked about it some Sunday evening, that there are people that will do stuff prematurely and immaturely and do it before God's timing, and they will see, they, they will see blessings come to manifestation or fruition. Okay, he was, we, I've talked about this before. We will have a meeting or a revival that was never God's plan and we will see somebody come to an altar and we will make the bold statement that if one is saved, then it was worth it all. And yes, I could sit here and argue, oh yeah, it is absolutely worth it all if one just gives their life to the Lord. If one will call out upon the name of the Lord. If just one. It doesn't matter if the timing was right. It doesn't matter if, if, if the promise comes to fruition. It doesn't matter if maturity was there. It doesn't matter if one. If, if I can get one to confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If I can just get one, that'll be a blessing. Let me explain something here. However, I may have to come back and apologize because I was 99% sure that I had my chronological stuff in order. Uh, 
Abram sends Hagar away. She flees the face of her mistress in verse 8. Verse 9 says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for, for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy afflictions. Um, you got the word. The name Ishmael literally means the Lord has heard his cries. There's something significant that I want to share with you here. Is that well? For, first of all, Ishmael was blessed. Ishmael was a blessing, and Ishmael operated out of a blessing. However, it does not mean that he operated out of a promise. It does not operate. It does not mean that he operated out of authority. And we understand that we, we, we understand and we must look at the situation here that he rebels against authority. What, what does the scripture say? That he will be a wild man. He will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. There are people that can operate in and of, even out of blessing, but cannot ever operate out of authority, and can never operate out of promise, because of immaturity, because of, of hastefulness, and because of of, of anxiety and because of too, too, too strong of expectations to see this promise come to fruition. Good motives, good motives and, and sincere hearts can be very detrimental to the will and plan and promise and purpose of God. Sarah meant very, very well. She meant no harm. Neither did Abraham. Hagar meant no harm. All three individuals involved in this mishap meant no harm. None of them. They meant good. But what happened? What happened in the moment when Hagar found out that she was conceived? She began to look at Sarah, the one in whom she was to be surrendered to. The one in whom she was supposed to have given herself to under her authority and under her rule. She began to look at her despitefully. She began to hate her. She began to loathe her. She began to despise her. And Sarah knew. Why? Because the one that had received the blessing before the one that was de destined to receive the promise began to rise up within herself with arrogancy. Hmm? And it, does any, I, I know, I, listen, I know I butchered this because most of y'all, it would be easy done. Because when, when someone who receives a blessing will then begin, okay, let, let, come, come here, Lisa. Yes. Come here, Deidre, I sent your. Okay, we both said, we, we've all said that when someone is blessed, it blesses others, okay? That's great, and that's in the context of it, if it is 
an appropriate and even an ordained blessing. If God blesses someone, yes, other people can be blessed. Even in the negative, because when you look at Ishmael, Ishmael was not the child of promise. He was not the child of, of, of he was not the child of a consensual yes. He was not God's yes. He was not God's plan, but however, God still said that he would bless Ishmael, right? He said, I'll make him a mighty nation. And, and you got to understand that when you look at what the scenario here, uh, I'm trying to redeem myself because I messed up with that chronological timeline. Ish, uh, Hagar places him under a tree to die. And she removes herself a few yards away because she says within herself, I can't bear to watch my son die because the water and the food had ran out. She was literally holding her son while he was dying of thirst and starvation. And she laid him down in, under a tree to die in the shade while she removed herself so, so that she would not have to visualize or observe her son dying. And the Lord heard that baby's cries or heard her cries. About messed up again. He heard her cries when she was when she was banished, which then came comes into pass later when she is then exiled. Okay, I'm, I'm, I messed up there. I admit that. I, mean, I admit when I messed up. I'm getting ready to get to that too because Sarah had to admit when she messed up. She cries, the Lord hears her. That's why she names him Ishmael, because the Lord hold her. Uh, the Lord named him Ishmael because I've heard your cries, I've heard your pleas. Later on down the road when she's exiled, we'll get to there, but it comes back. The Lord heard the cries of the baby and, and comes and he saves both of them. Hey, I'll make him a nation. I'll make him, uh, I'll bless him and make him prosperous and make him a nation. He blesses him. But however, Ishmael is a blessing. But he was not the promise. I'm, I've butchered this whole thing tonight, but I'm trying to redeem myself. So Lisa actually is the promise. Okay, step back here. I need you to step back here. But the promise has not yet been revealed or presented or brought forward. She's still, she's still the promise. You've got to understand this. She's still the promise because everything exists in one moment to God. See, that, that we have to understand that. Your moment and his moment, they'll never line up with each other until you start operating out of a conscious, a conscious uh, reality that you actually live in his moment and he doesn't live in yours. Sarah wanted God in, his, in her moment, but God said, no, I, I'm too big to fit within your moment. I need you to understand that you're in my moment. And in my moment, the promise is already given to you, and the promise is already named Isaac, and the promise is already going to be uh, the progenitor of, of, of a legacy. But you just got to wait on it. Because your now and my now haven't yet come together. But if we wait patiently, God's now and our now will always come together. And when it comes together, we see fulfillment of promise. So what happened was, I'm going to play the role of both Abraham and Sarah. And I'm going to say, you know what? It's been however many years. I thought I knew, but I don't know now. It's been how many years since God gave us the promise? And we ain't seen this yet. We've been doing this thing every evening. And we ain't seeing nothing come to pass. There's nothing coming to fruition. I've not conceived yet. And so Abraham, Abraham and Sarah comes up and they comprise and they devise this great plan to, you know, help God along in his promise. And so what they received was, was a blessing. And when Ishmael or Deidre come forth, she's a blessing. 
And, and yes, absolutely. God will not allow a blessing to not return blessings. So even though she was not real, I mean, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't a mistake. Ishmael wasn't a mistake in terms of how we view that, that mistake, you know. He was on purpose. But yet he was still a mistake in God's purpose. Does that make sense? He was not part of God's purpose. Even though he was conceived on purpose, it had nothing to do with God's purpose. Amen? I, don't, you, you, I know why he's back there rubbing his head. That was, but I got my point across. God didn't hold it against him. However, we have to understand that because he was a blessing, because she was a blessing, others were blessed through her and from her. She's playing the role of Ishmael. So Ishmael was a blessing because God didn't hold it against him. He still said, because he's, he's, he's the son of Abraham and whom I have befriended. And I've said to Abraham, I'll make you a father of many nations. And who blesses you? Well, I'll bless them. Who curses you? I will curse them and all that. So he, he begins to still, that generational promise still transcends and cascades down upon Ishmael. Here's what I want to share with you. He was, he was the blessing, yes. But Isaac was the promise. And she operates out of blessing, yes. And people are blessed because she operates out of a blessing. But still yet, she's not operating out of authority. And when the blessing begins to see someone who then begins to operate out of authority, let me share something with you. When, when she's the blessing, so if you can imagine this, imagine a gift hovers over her. Imagine a gift hovers over Deidre and she operates out of that gift. But when she sees God begin to use somebody that operates out of authority, she begins to become rebellious, thus Ishmael. Anybody see this? Gift, blessing. How many times have you seen somebody that had a gift and somebody will watch them perform and they'll say, oh man, I, that's, that, they, they bless me so much. Hmm? But what happens is that those that operate out of blessing do not know how to appropriately honor authority. You got me? Am I preaching to Jason? He just don't listen. Authority, gift. Actually, I'm going to go out and say she is authority and she's a gift by looking at you. But anyway, neither here nor there. Is that a good one? Thank you. You're just so used to me making fun of it, you just hear what you want to anymore. Huh? I'm preaching. So when those that operate out of a blessing begin to see God begin to operate through someone else who, has, who is the promise and part of the purpose that God begins to operate through them out of authority. Because guess what? Ishmael is never mentioned when it comes to the patriarchs. When it comes to the father and the foundation of Judaism, which is, which is initially where, where Christianity and the church was birthed. So she represents a leg or an arm, I should say arm, of authority. Because she is the, she is the progeny that received the promise. 
the original promise and the original intent. See, Sarah and Abraham messed up when they got in front of God, but it still did not mean that this child, Deidre or Ishmael, would never operate out of blessing and would never operate out of provision and would never operate out of some sort of promise. They, she would just never operate as the promise. Amen? So God did not withhold his arm or his hand as, as it pertains to giving blessings to Ishmael. He overly, exceedingly, and abundantly blessed Ishmael and all of his descendants. But he never would have allowed Ishmael to operate out of or in authority. Because Ishmael was not the consensual yes. He was, not the con- he, was, he, was, he was not the original design and the intent. He was, he was actually a consequence of the immaturity and the impatience of the ones that had actually received the promise. And their promise was actually Isaac. But they were so... They, they were so They were so expectant. They were so... I believe that they were looking and they said the time is dwindling and the clock is moving and we don't have much time left so we've got to do something. Listen, if God says he'll do it, he has all the time in the universe. He has all the time in the scope of eternity. So quit putting a timeline and a schedule and term limits on God. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. I know that God's going to bless a community through this church that has been overlooked by society. But the same society that overlooked this church once will not be able to turn away from what God begins to do out of this church because he's sending authority through and by way of the promise. Because if we will just wait patiently and allow Allow him to see the promise through. If I'll just say and allow myself to be in a posture of rest. And allow myself to see the promise through. I will never get in a hurry. And I will never put the cart before the horse. And I will never cause a detrimental disruption into society. Because you got to understand when the blessing began to dishonor the authority. there There was disruption. And if there was disruption there was corruption. And it was her hand or Ishmael's hand against her hand or Isaac's hand. And there was clashing and there was contention. Why? Because one man and one woman just like the first man and woman messed up because they got out of the will of God. Have I redeemed myself on this whole sermon? I think I have. Forget my timelines. They, they were messed up. But she was born 30 years after the fact. And because she was born through the duration of the dedication unto authority, she was born with a calling to walk in the promise. And the promise was permission. The permission for what? To walk in authority. Look, God was trying to fix Adam's mistakes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, uh, the, the, the 12 pillars or the 12 tribes of Israel. You understand? She was blessed abundantly and excessively so. But because she started to operate out of jealousy and spitefulness and bitterness. How do I know? Because the very womb in which she was conceived had contentions towards the very womb in which he was conceived. When, I'm going to say he is, okay? I know she's not a his and I know she ain't either. 
But when his mother, Ishmael, saw that she was conceived, she began to swell up with pride and began to swell up with arrogance. And she looked down upon Sarah. Sarah was the woman that was given the promise and the promise to enter into permission and authority. She thought, listen, you got to understand. She, am I drawing a picture here? You getting this, Brittany? She was the boss. She was the servant. But when the servant started operating out of blessing, the servant thought that she was superior to the one that was given the promise and the permission of authority. See where I'm, see, see is, am I making sense? Help me out here. Okay, thank you. The, but we're getting it, right? Are we getting it? We're getting it. Y'all can just be seated if you want to. I know that was a long way around, but I'm really struggling and trying to get this out the way that I've I seen it. Let me see if there's any more. I'm sure there is, but I've messed this up so bad. I don't know if I can bounce back from all that. So, I may end with this. So, God wanted to bless the nations through a man named Abraham and a woman named Sarah. But yet a man named Abraham and a woman named Sarah thought that they had to help the hand of God along and began to, began to mess up horrifically by getting in a hurry. Because it was never intended for you to be intimate with the servant. It was always intended for you to be intimate with the promise. And again, I hope I'm redeeming myself. Too many settle with intimacy with the handmaiden. Man, let me tell you, look, Abraham, you messed up, homie. You did. I mean, really, you sh you should have told you you. If there was ever a time, other than Adam rebuking Eve, it should have been Abraham rebuking Sarah and telling her, "Just go back to the kitchen." Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, uh, but 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 it has echoed disaster through the last centuries and and millennium. It sounded good, it absolutely did, but it echoed disaster and destruction. And that's what I'm trying to say. Abraham knew better, and I, I that was a joke. He shouldn't have told Sarah to get back in the kitchen. What he should have told her was to get back into the bedroom because he was ready to go back into the posture of intimacy. He didn't care if the promise has not been conceived. Um, he didn't care whether the promise had been conceived physically. He should have known better and saw that the promise was already conceived in the eternity and in, in, in the spiritual realm and in the heavenly existence he should have known again and see what and, and, and Abraham really messed up royally I'm telling you Sarah had the best intentions she really did and Hagar had the best intentions Hagar thought that she was being a servant she really thought that she was just, be, she, she had a servant's heart. She really did. But even the servant being intimate with the wrong lover will then begin to produce, begin to produce, uh, it'll produce bitterness and strife and envy and hatred. 
See what I'm saying? When she found out she was conceived, you see where that draws the line here? Connect the dots. They meant well. They really did. But Abraham, the man who received the promise in the same way that Adam received the promise, the word of God came from God to those men. But those men were so easily persuaded by the good intentions of the woman. It was never meant for him to go and be intimate or lie with the servant. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. I think there's a time when Hagar represents the church. I believe there's a time that when I could draw the conclusion that there, there's, there's two churches here. Or there's two perspectives or outlooks here. And it's up to us to determine which one is rightful. And which one, of, which one is, 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 is the one that has received the promise. Because I believe so often and so frequently we who really have a promise attached to our lives will begin to look at the wrong opportunities. We'll begin to look at the wrong opportunities. And I believe sometimes we within the church so sincere, so... So, I mean, I mean, with it, I know that there have been men. I have shook hands with men that had promises all in and on their lives that began to look at the wrong opportunities and got intimate with the wrong people, got intimate with the wrong ideas. Let me say it this way. Let me let me let me draw this conclusion. Let me tie these ends up. Abraham was a man with a promise and a destiny. But he, and I know that because he was faithful, it was imputed unto him as righteousness. But there was a moment in a, in a moment of weakness when he lacked integrity that he failed. And he began to look at the quickest opportunity. He began to look at the easiest opportunity. And let me, let me share this with you. If any man of God wants to be successful and be fulfilling or bring the fulfillment of God's promise to fruition, he better stay in bed with his wife. As a man of God, if I want to see the promises of God come to fruition in my life, I need to stay in bed with my wife and not going out looking for other lovers, which means opportunities. Hmm? And there's a time when that man better know that even if she says it's okay, you better know that God says it isn't. Salah. And I'm going to say this. There'll be times even when it's her idea. You better be mature enough in your position. And I'm talking to the women too. Okay, I'm just talking. I'm, talk I'm using the illustration here. But I'm not, putting, I'm not putting masculinity over. Paul says that, that we're all equal in the church. But what I'm saying is primarily egotistical men of God who have promises in and on their lives get in too big of a hurry and they start getting intimate with the wrong opportunities. And the result 
is the birth of contentions. Listen, let me, let me, let me say it this way, and I'm going to let you go for real. I'm here, Frank. So y'all know I'm for real. We're going to go right here in a minute. Know my heart when I say this. Every baby is a blessing. And I argue, I argue my stance on abortion. When somebody will look at me and say, I don't think it's right for a woman to have to, to raise a, a rape baby. First of all, your perspective is wrong because it's not a rape baby, it's a baby. It's a baby, regardless of the circumstances in which it was conceived. And it can be a blessing, and it is a blessing, it will be a blessing. So I'm going I'm to say this. So know my heart when I say this. I've seen people who... I've seen men, and I'm not making this up. I've seen men who chased the limelight of evangelism. Live streamed every opportunity they got to preach. They, I mean, were, were, were so adamant that they were uh, God's man of power for the hour that I've seen some of these dudes. I mean, I've seen them holding a cell phone in one hand, driving down the road with the other hand, and looking at their, like, dude, like, still, seriously, that's illegal. To be to be making a Facebook live video in the name of Jesus. That's illegal. If God has put a word in you that needs to be spoken now, pull your butt off the side of the road and quit endangering other people because God has put such an urgency in your spirit to get this word out here. And if that's the case, God's going to take care of your boss or whoever's waiting on you to be there in 15 minutes. Or maybe he needs you to go think about it, meditate on it, let it gestate a little while and come to maturity before you start puking it out. Amen? You know, listen, my heart is sincere when I say this. They get tangled in the web of lust and fornication. And listen, know my heart when I say this. It takes money to have an abortion. And if you ain't got the money to cover up your promiscuity, it's coming out. And I've seen men of God. I've seen women of God. I've seen, I've seen children and, 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 and kids of, of people who claim to be godly make an announcement. Now they're about to be a daddy, and they ain't married to their girl. Or they're about to be a mommy, and they ain't married to their man. Or they're about to be a grandmammy or a grandpappy, and their kids ain't married. Hmm? But it was, it's, it's a blessing from God. Yes, absolutely. It is a blessing of God. You write it down and don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. But it surely was not God's will. God will not conceive anything out of wedlock. 
And people run around, and I've seen this. People will run around talking about. And I, I listen. You gotta, you gotta see the illustration that I'm making here. Don't focus so much because your friends were pregnant in high school, and and I'm saying that they listen. It was not God's will for a 16 year old girl and a 17 year old boy to have kids. It was so much not God's will that their mommies and daddies tried to figure out a way to take care of it so they could send Junior and Sally on to college, so that their life wouldn't be over. Okay? You can't call that a blessing in one minute and then turn around and say your life is ruined the next because something's hypocritical here. Amen? So what I'm saying is people will run around having children because they've been intimate with someone who was not their wife or they're intimate with someone who is not their husband. And the consequence, yes, can be a blessing because God will never curse the conception of life. There's a sanctity of life. And we know sanctity of life because God has embedded the reality of that sanctity of life within our soul. We understand that every baby that is conceived is a living, breathing human being because on the inside of that baby is a living soul and it is, yes, I say murder to take the life of that innocent. I just remembered something I forgot. I may just wait on it. But listen. You cannot walk around declaring and proclaiming that what you are carrying now as a consequence of promiscuity and lust and the desires and the appetite of the flesh is ordained by God and it is God's will. Because I'm telling you right now that Hagar conceived a child and he was loved by his daddy, he was loved by his mommy, and he was loved by everybody in the community. And that kid had talents. He was a hunter. He was an archer. He was bad to the bone everything he done it prospered the man the boy that become the man had the favor of God and was blessed of God and was blessing others but I'm telling you that the intent of the conception it whereby he was conceived utterly spoiled the sincerity that he had in his infancy because let me tell you why he was named Ishmael because God heard his cries within the belly of his mother because because his belly was his mother was crying when he was in her belly and the lord said name him Ishmael because i'm going to hear the cries of that child he can hear the chi- cries of that child when that child is still crying from the in- innocence and sincerity of his infancy but what happened when that child grew up and in his maturity looked at the authority with envy and malice in his eyes he become rebellious that's a lot of stuff But that's good. God can hear your cries and bless you abundantly, mightily, and excessively. Because in your infancy, there's still a sense of innocence. But when he grew up and become mature in his maturity, he lost his innocence. Ishmael. He become a bloodthirsty Contentious, rebellious, his hand was against every man's and every man's was against his. 
I've done touched on a lot of a lot of political issues that were not so political correct in the eyes of society. And I'm just going to go ahead and drive this one home too. We're still contending with the curse of Ishmael in 2019 because one man and one woman decided that they were going to help the promise of God come to fruition. And they put their hand in the cookie jar. We're still dealing with those mistakes. We're still dealing with those early expectations. We're still dealing with the unfaithfulness of the heart of a man who was considered so faithful it was imputed unto him as righteousness. Abraham messed up in that moment. And every every son born within that legacy was going to have to contend with the illegitimacy of Ishmael. You hear me? We see this every day. That the legacy is contending with illegitimacy. And the illegitimacy, the illegitimacy comes as a way of to illegitimacy comes by way of unrestraint expectancy. God didn't re, 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 restrain her from; He reserved her for. The promise always comes in the time of reservation. Because there is a time such as this. There is a time such as this. There are being too many Ishmaels born within the church. Because too many men that are walking with promises on their lives. Are looking for the quickest opportunity. Hmm? Do, do we see this? Anybody else agree with this? We see this day in and day out in the ministry. And then they wonder why they're dealing with so much contention and so much disruption. Why they're dealing with so much rebellion. Why they can't catch a break. It's because they're still contending with their illegitimate opportunities. An illegitimate opportunity is not the promise. Amen. I redeem myself. Thank you. Thank you. Let's stand. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. 
However, if you've been affected by God's Word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is Tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.